That's good Sunday night worship right there. That, that's good. Uh, praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5 tonight. My plan had been to go verse by verse all the way through the book. Uh, preaching plan got interrupted a couple of times. I'm going to have to leave some passages from chapter 4 and come back to those in a few weeks. I'm going to do that. But I'm going to go ahead tonight and, and get us through the end of the book. Uh, James, chapter 5. O- open up your Bibles. I'm just blessed. Uh, Coming off a staff retreat, uh, we all evacuated the office Thursday afternoon. We, we've spent uh, some time at the lake together. Uh, Rod and Warren and Matt and myself with Lori and uh, with Nicole. And then Matt, Matt Butler came along to chaperone Nicole in the middle of all those, all those men. Uh, we had a great time, just a really fantastic time. Um, Nicole, uh, if you don't know this, Nicole Butman is the most amazing cook ever. And uh, we put her in charge of dessert, which, you know, if you put me in charge of dessert, I would have brought like one bag of Chips Ahoy, and that would probably be, be it. Uh, she brought, I guess Thursday, she brought, what'd you call that? Is this the official name, ooey gooey butter cake? Yeah, I think the ingredients is just, it's real simple, two sticks of butter and a pound of sugar, and, and, it, and it turns into cake. Oh my goodness. And, and I thought, okay, that's probably our dessert for, 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 the, for the weekend, but no, that was just like Thursday night. Friday we had, uh, what's that coconut pie that tastes like a, a almond, German chocolate coconut pie, dark chocolate coconut pie, okay, and then what was the other pie? Chocolate chess pie, which I fell in love there, and then it just, the whole pie was just gone suddenly, I don't know where that went, and then the other pie, pecan, if you say pecan, you'll be corrected, it's, it's pecan, chest pie oh my goodness those those were so so good Matt Betts grilled out our steaks and, and I'm telling you he's an amazing cook uh, Warren loaded the dishwasher Warren's a good cook too but uh, Warren loaded the dishwasher uh, it, it was such a good time uh, there was a time in my life a number of years ago when I was at a very low point I was overwhelmed I was telling God I couldn't do it uh, I was physically emotionally spiritually broken down and, and God just showed me that I wouldn't be doing it as far as anything important that it wouldn't be up to me that anything he would accomplish through my life would be in the context of the church and in the context of a team if I would learn to work with others and it is such a blessing such a blessing to work with this staff Uh, I just love love my brothers and sisters in this church but on the staff I know I get on their nerves because I tell them all the time how how much I love them Warren's just not real level you tell Warren you love him he'll just look at you you know but uh Love Warren, so, you know, he's, he's just looking at you like, whatever, you, you know, but I <laughs> just love these guys just so, so very, very much, and, and we love this church. Uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed for you all. We asked for God's vision and, and strength uh, coming into the next year. We, we were planning the calendar for the year, and we started with the passage from James in front of us that we read this morning. Uh, it is uh, all dependent upon what pleases the Lord and what his will is, and that is the direction we we, we pray that we can lead this church. So pray for us even as we try to lead uh, together. Uh, what a blessing it is to be at this church at this time. James chapter 5. Um, talk to me about this morning. Uh, we talked about the concept of what Craig Rochelle calls a practical atheist. Uh, do you remember what the definition of practical atheist would be? Anybody really listening? What's a practical atheist? Yeah, a person who says they believe in God. So in that sense, they're not a technical atheist. They say they believe in God, but then what? Yeah, they don't live like they believe in God. So practically, they live as an atheist, even though they would say that they actually believe in God. Uh, 
Do you think that describes a lot of people? Again, as James writes his letter, his, his, his driving concern seems to be this incredible number of inactive people he sees in the church. The Christians who are hearers of the, uh, hearers of the word only and, and not doers. Those who know uh, the good that they should do but don't do it. He, he really seems to keep coming back around to the idea, uh, the contradiction of, of people who are Christians but Christians in, in name only. He wraps up this letter as we come into to chapter 5, coming out of chapter 5, uh, with the power of prayer. So let's dig in there. Remember that James was the pastor at the church in Jerusalem, sometimes called the poor of Jerusalem. He had a very uh, impoverished congregation. Remember that James was literally the half-brother of Jesus. His uh, mother and father were Mary and Joseph, and, and James was his brother. But James, most importantly, became a disciple of his half-brother uh, in the flesh, Jesus but James, uh, in the church, he had a, another nickname. Anybody know what his nickname has been in church history? What he came to be known as from his church members and those who knew him best? What do they call him? The Just. That's right, James the Just. <clears throat> what else? One other one. Come on, Bethmore ladies, where are you? Bethmore ladies? Bethmore ladies did the James Mercy Triumph study, and Bethmore makes a point of this. Do you remember his nickname? It doesn't sound real flattering. They called him camel knees. Camel knees. Why would they call a man <clears throat> camel knees? Because he had very misshapen knees. His knees became very calloused and enlarged like a camel. How would knees get that way? Praying. Yeah, praying. James himself was a man of prayer, a pastor of prayer. I, I pray that I can be that. This is from the pastor known as Camel Knees, and this is how he wraps up his letter. Start with me. Chapter 5, verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. That's, a, that's the way he ends his letter. Go back, verse 13 with me. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. The Lord will make you well, and if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other, and on and on it goes. This little passage has a number of instructions, and actually, if you read carefully, probably some rather shocking statements or shocking instructions. What are the shocking claims or instructions that you see in this passage? Tell me. Go back and read with me. What is it that just sort of stands out? Shocking, interesting. 
I will read the whole passage again, okay? What do you see? First, well, it's interesting. He keeps coming back several times to the idea that, that praying for each other leads to the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, interesting. We don't think like that, but uh, importance of praying for one another and how that can bring about the forgiveness of sins. Let's talk about that in a minute. What else? Say it again. Yeah, it talks about the, the, the power of prayer. Prayer is not just, you know, talking into your hands. Uh, it, it is to unleash the very power of God. That There is power, power in God's hands, and prayer unleashes that. There's power when we pray. Yeah. What else? Yeah, we, we kind of, I guess as believers, we hate to say we're surprised by that. But there's always something surprising about a promise so bold. It will save the sick. It will heal the sick, the prayer of faith, he says. It's, it's a shocking kind of claim and promise. What else? It's full of it. Yeah, there's temptation, of course. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, does that ever happen? Wow, we wander all the time. We're not always good at bringing each other back. But for James, it's the way he ends his letter. Yeah. What else? I, I think almost as shocking as anything is, is what he says in verse 17 about Elijah. It's just sort of, what? What's he say? Some of these other claims or promises are shocking because they seem to, to, to call for so much. But when he describes Elijah, it's almost like, ah, get out of here. Elijah was what? As human as we are, the same nature as us. Are you kidding me? I mean, Elijah, like me? Yeah, hard to understand, but absolutely sort of shocking, shocking claims and instructions in this passage. It is beautiful. I love how it starts. Let's go. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should. Yeah, pray. Are any of you happy? You should. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is it the same thing? I think you need to recognize that, that James is setting up a pattern here. And actually, in whatever circumstance you find yourself, his intention is to tell you to put yourself before God in that. So actually, the answer is always prayer. He says sing praises here for, uh, for sort of a, a, a variety in his speech. But he's saying the same thing. Whatever your circumstance, you put yourself before God. Are you suffering hardship? You should find a good counselor because Bowling Green is full of those or, or perhaps you should consider a, a, I don't know you know drinking a, a gallon of of special juice you know that someone would gladly sell you or maybe take vitamins I mean we have all kinds of advice for each other and sometimes our advice is, is something you just absolutely can't even do maybe you should exercise somebody would say you need to start jogging or running or you just need to get out of the house it's when you're thinking I'll just die in my chair I mean sometimes what you're asked to do seems un impossible unreachable but not here whatever circumstance you find yourself in the instructions to you are plain and, and very very doable for you are you suffering hardship pray pray are you happy you should sing praises you should praise him you should pray it's the same thing put yourself before God in praise are you sick you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray yeah why is 
whatever situation you're in, the proper response is prayer. Is James just out of ideas? Why is prayer always, always what you do? Because prayer is our connection with God. It is the means of connecting with God. Is it the only means of connecting with God? Is it? Is prayer the only way to put yourself before God? Singing, praises, I guess, I guess some people would say that it, that's all prayer, that it's all worship. What else? Any, anything other than just prayer that, that puts yourself before God in the same way? What'd you say, Ronnie? Meditation, which I guess some people would say is prayer too, but it's just that quieting and focusing and, and making sure that we fix our thoughts on God. Yeah. Meditation, I, I guess some would say that's still prayer. Is prayer the only means? Actually, throughout Christian history, Christians have identified just a handful of, of, of ways that they say you put yourself before God. And prayer is, is, I guess we would say, the most important because it encompasses nearly everything. But you could add to that the reading of Scripture. Reading Scripture isn't necessarily the same thing as prayer, but it puts you before God in, in that same similar way. It puts you in a listening and a submissive role where you're listening for God to tell you what to do as he speaks through his word. So scripture reading is a way to put yourself before God. Can you think of something else? Again, spiritual disciplines that the saints have always called them. What else? Fasting. Fasting. Yeah, yeah. Some of you just rather we not bring that up. But, but, but fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is doing without. Very simply, fasting is saying no to the flesh, saying no to your, to your physical body, to, to, your, to, to yourself, your habits. What's the good in that? What does fasting accomplish? This morning I quoted William Borden who said that we should say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus every time. And fasting makes you practice that all day long saying no to yourself and yes to Jesus because you're going to deprive yourself of something that ordinarily you, you, you partake in, ordinarily you depend upon or enjoy. Uh, what kinds of things can you fast from? Yeah, literally anything. Most of us do some sort of food fast, and, and often when fasting is mentioned in Scripture, that's the assumption that it'll be some sort of, 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 of nutritional or, or food deprivation. We'll do without food. When you fast, do you have to, can you, it's just water? No, there are different ways to fast. Jesus fasted uh, with, with neither food nor water for 40 days. Uh, it's typically not recommended for, for, for most of us. We just probably could not survive that. Uh, I would say sometimes for a short fast, no food, maybe only water. But then in the book of Daniel, Daniel fasted. Do you remember what Daniel ate when he fasted? Yeah, only vegetables. So there's some people who'll do a Daniel fast. A Daniel fast will let you put yourself before God for a longer period of time because you're, you're taking in a, enough to sustain your daily activity, but at the same time, you're still depriving yourself. You're still saying no to most everything else that, that, that you would normally participate in. So there are many ways to do a food fast. What other kinds of fasts are there for us today? Yeah, our teenagers at different times have done what they call a media fast. What would that be? Ali, that was not a joke. I mean, we, we, what's a media fast? Explain it. Anybody? Yeah. 
Our teenagers have done that for several, for several times and typically come back saying it was very, very good for them spiritually. Our teenagers, as you know, are, are, uh, they would rather have their phone in their hand than food. Uh, they would starve themselves probably, but, but leave me with my phone. Uh, and so the teenagers sometimes do media fasts where they, where they do not use their phone, may avoid the internet uh, in, in all ways, no, no Facebook, no social media. Uh, for others, a media fast would be just staying away from television or music, uh, some sort of devotion to silence. So there are these many, many ways through the history of Christians that, that we've learned to put ourselves before God. Prayer continues to be the most important because prayer is communication with God. Prayer is our connection with God. And that is why James would say, in whatever circumstance, whatever, if you're happy, pray, sing praises. If, if you're suffering hardship, you, you, you pray. If you're sick, you, you pray. Whatever situation, whatever circumstance, your response as a believer is to pray, is to pray. So really honestly, I think it's fair to say that the best gauge perhaps of your spiritual life, your spiritual health would be your prayer life. If somebody could just see your prayer life and, and somehow measure your prayer life, they could probably tell you everything you would need to know about yourself and, and your relationship with Christ. You think that's fair to say? I, th I think your prayer life probably says more about your life in Christ than anything else. And unfortunately, that's where so many of us become practical atheists. We, we live these lives of incredible, desolate prayerlessness, and we call ourselves believers. It's beyond understanding. Why do you think that we often don't pray? Or I should say, in what circumstances do we find ourselves less likely to pray? What, what interrupts our prayer lives? Yeah, often Dennis says, when things are going well, why? Why when things are going so well, am I more likely to forget God? Because I don't feel like I need his help. Yeah, I don't feel like I need his help. When I feel in control, then I am more than happy to keep control, and therefore I don't call upon the Lord. Prayer is the language of dependence. It's always a language of dependence. So if I'm not praying, I'm not depending on God. I feel like I can do it myself. Again, that's a practical atheist for you. But, but prayer is a language of dependence, and when I don't feel like I'm depending on him, when I don't need to depend on him, I don't talk to him. Uh, so we go prayerless often when we just feel like we're in control, and that's usually when our lives are going well. What else? When else? Holly says when you're just too busy. Can you be too busy to pray? Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I just think about some of the moms in this congregation with, with, with children and babies. Oh, my goodness, we had one kid. That's the most we ever had, and we were still outnumbered. You know, because one kid has two ends, you know, that stuff can come out. And, and, and all of a sudden, I, I mean, oh, my goodness. Case and I were coming back from the retreat yesterday. We were all pretty tired. It had been a great weekend, but we were tired. And we just stopped and said, oh, my goodness, Matt and Don Betts go home to three kids. We were going home to the hammock. You understand? But, oh, just to go home and know that you're just going to be busy. And not just for the afternoon. They're, they're going to be busy for, what, like 21 years yet. You know, it just sort of never stops. You hear mothers talking about locking themselves in the bathroom, you know, just to try to have a prayer time in there. You know, because it's the only place that they might leave you alone and then they still don't, you know? Yeah, oh, oh yeah, 
absolutely busyness and just having so much to do can absolutely keep us from praying. So what do we do? What do we do when we just don't have time to pray? And, and some of us say that, but there are a lot of things we could cut out. But others of us, honestly, if we could find 10 minutes of silence, we'd pray. There's just, it's not there. How do you cope with that? What do you do? Somebody who's been there, tell us. Yeah, Jack just says, examine your own habits, look for the moments when you might could steal that time. Jack won't play the radio when he drives for the purpose of having quiet time uh, with God. Uh, Mark, what were you going to say? Get up earlier. For some of us, literally getting up earlier gives us more time in the day. Yeah, absolutely. I would say there are, there are stay-at-home moms in this room who right now could just jump off a cliff. Because getting up earlier, if they get up earlier, the kids get up early. Wade would do that. My wife gets up, I mean, my wife gets up, you know, almost before Jesus. I mean, she just gets up so early. But as soon as she would get out of bed, Wade would just join her. Just automatically join her. You know, I sleep forever. But no, Wade's up in case he's up. Um, talk to mom. Somebody help moms. What do you do when you have children who, honestly, in the car, you don't get silence either, and if you get up early, they get up early with you, and if you stay up late, they stay up late with you. Yeah, Margie. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. God knows you. God knows your situation, your circumstances. And, and the devil plays with us too. Don't forget that. So often those of us who are driven to, to please God and to love God and also to love and serve our families, um, we begin to focus on what we can't do. And that will destroy you. And, and honestly, some, and again, I'm speaking, I guess, especially to some of you moms who just really find it hard to find any time. And, and I get that. I, I I've never been a mom, but I think I understand that. And, and I'm just simply saying, you, you may literally not have an hour like that to go through a Beth Moore study. You would love, you'd give a kidney out of your body for an hour. Uh, to drive down the road with no noise, you'd never come back home. You'd just, you'd just keep on driving if you had that, that, that luxury. Um, so sometimes we just have to not focus on what we can't do. And if you don't have an hour to do a Beth Moore study, God knows that. Now understand this, God can still form a kingdom heart in you out of your selfless service on behalf of your family. You're serving God. You're doing God's work by raising boys and girls who will love him too. You're discipling them. And God can shape a kingdom heart in you just the same way he shapes a kingdom heart in me in my serving. So don't ever think that you're serving God is not important. But, but don't focus on what you can't do. Do what you can do. And this is what Margie is saying. You may not get an hour to pray. You may get a really skinny 20 seconds, so you better just let it go. Pray your guts out. God, help me. Yeah. I remember hearing one lady talk about how she would actually turn her daily chores into prayer. So while she was ironing, 
women used to iron. Mom, she was ironing. She would just pray as she did that, God, just press out all of the wrinkles in my soul and make me smooth and radiant in your presence. And as she washed the dishes, she would literally say, God, wash me and make me whiter than snow. She just tried to turn all of her work every day into prayer, into praise. You can do that. Prayer doesn't always look like being on your knees. Now, when you can be on your knees, hit your knees. But, but you can't always. And so, again, as I say, pray as you can not as you can't. And, and don't let the, the condemnation of the devil convince you that you can't have a, a devotional life before God. Your proper response in every circumstance is to pray. And let's talk about this uh, correlation that James has here between our private prayers and our prayers together. Uh, are you suffering hardship? You should pray. The implication there is sort of private prayer. You should be praying uh, yourself for yourself. Are you happy? You should sing your own praises. Sing praises. But notice this. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What's the relation between my private praying and the praying that we should be doing together? What's the connection? What's the difference? What happens when I pray by myself or when we pray together? Do I need y'all to pray for me? Why? I can pray. God hears my prayer. There's accountability here. Yeah. It's encouraging. But what if I'm just an especially good prayer? <laughs> yeah. I may not need the prayer, but y'all need to practice. That's what Frank Zarbo is saying. No, wow. Um, no, we need other people to pray for us always. Why? It, 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 it's humbling, but it's also necessary. I probably don't pray for myself well. Now, I pray for myself all the time. I'll be honest. I'm praying more for me than for y'all. I'm sorry, but that's just where my, that's where my heart goes. I, I, I pray for myself a lot, but I probably don't pray for myself very well. Why? Because I'm selfish and because I'm sinful, I don't really necessarily know very well what I need. I don't see it very well because I am, I'm sinful and I'm selfish. And my prayers, even for myself, tend to be very, very self-centered. And, and I'm probably asking amiss, as, as Scripture says. I, I probably pray for all the wrong things when I'm praying for myself. But when you all pray for me, your prayers would be more pure. You probably have a better sense of what I need than I have for myself. Would you agree with that? I, I think that's how it works. We pray better for each other than we pray for ourselves. We, we really need each other to pray for each other. What else? Yeah, uh, 
we're the body of Christ, and the intention is that we function as a body, and, and, and Christ wants all of us in Christ to, to be unified and, and together, and nothing brings us together like prayer. You, you understand? Here we are, all, all out here scattered together, but when we put ourselves before God, and, and we all get closer to God in our prayers, it brings us together automatically. And so truly, we will never be closer, we will never be of, of more one mind, one purpose, we'll never be more unified than we, when we were on our knees praying together for each other, with each other. Yeah. What about this? Elijah was as human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. There's some irony in that. He was as human as we are, but when he prayed, stuff happened. I mean, I know you prayed to find, you know, you lost your car at, at Piggly Wiggly, and you came out and you thought, oh, Lord, Lord, help me find my car. And, 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 and praise the Lord you found your car. But, you know, that's just not really Book of Acts kind of material. I mean, you know, you know Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three years, and Black Cato found her car at Piggly Wiggly. You, you know, there's just something about that. He, he's as human as we are, but when he prayed, wow. And, and, and James has the wow implied there. As human as we are, but look what happened when he prayed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Earnest prayer of a righteous person. We need some of those so we have some powerful prayers, right? Really? How's that work? Where does the power in prayer come from? The prayer? The connection of the person got in. Some people are really connected. Right? Really connected. I want Chip Willingham praying for me because I know God listens to him. You ever heard people talk like that? Brother Tim, I want you praying because I know God hears you and you pray. Man, my head could explode when people say that. But does God not hear you? I mean... When certain people pray, when Joel Osteen, you know, prays God, you know, puts down the remote control and listens to Joel. Uh, you really think that some people have God's ear more than other people? Is that the point here? Yeah, everybody has the same connection. Why? Where does that connection come from? From, from Christ. It, it is Christ who connects us, and all of us have that equal access to God through Christ. Every single one of us. There is no hierarchy. Not that pastors get in first and then deacons and then, and then you know, way down at the bottom, you know, the, the kids in the, in the program. No. We have that access through Christ. It's the same access. So why is it that some of our prayers seem more powerful than others? Well, so it's the person's faith. Yeah, if you have faith, when you pray, you can, you can say to the mountain, be thou moved, and the mountain moves. So it takes great faith, right? If it aligns with what God wants, great faith. So I need great faith. How much is great? Yeah, yeah that kind of shoots that in the head. Jesus said it, it, it's not great faith. It's not great faith. The power in your prayer does not come from the size of your faith. Because Jesus said, just a smidge is enough, about like a grain of mustard seed. He, he picked something very, very small. That's all the faith you need. Just enough faith to ask. All it takes. And so it, it's not about the, 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 the degree of your faith. It, 
it is what? Yeah, the object of your faith. Where do you put your faith? Now, you don't put your faith in prayer. Understand this. Some people have almost a superstitious, a magical kind of approach to prayer. They put faith in prayer. These are the people who say, prayer changes things. I tried prayer and prayer works. You know, what? What does that even mean? Prayer works. That's like saying, you know, I read my horoscope and that works. It's, it's, it's magical. It's, it's superstitious. That's not the biblical view of prayer. Prayer doesn't work. God works. God works. But prayer doesn't work. You don't put your faith in prayer. There are people who have memorized prayers and they'll recite prayers and they think if they say this prayer 13 times and then afford it on the internet, good things will happen. Okay, don't ever send me one of those. I'm going to come to your house, you understand, and, and punch your computer out with my hand. Don't ever send me anything that says pray this prayer nine times and then send it to 25 people and good things will happen to you. Don't send me that. I mean, what religion are, what kind of voodoo are you practicing? That's not Christian prayer nine times with your fingers crossed, you know, standing in a puddle of flour, you know, facing east. But that's how a lot of people pray. The faith is in the, 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 the prayer. The faith is in praying. It's the object of your faith. And where do we put our faith? The God to whom we pray. You put your faith in God, and you put yourself before him in prayer, and you call out to him, and that's all you have to do. At that point, you are praying. You are a champion of prayer, just like Elijah. I'm not talking about how much faith you have. It just takes the faith to ask. I'm not talking about how much faith you have. It's just where you put your faith. And if you'll just give God just a smidgen of faith, he'll move mountains for you. That's the point. It's not you. It's not even the act of praying. It's the God who hears your prayer. Now, let's go back to something Rhonda said, something about the power in prayer, because she said something very, very important, and it takes us back to Elijah here. Why is it that when Elijah prayed for weird stuff, God did it? And he prayed for weird stuff. Let fire come down from the sky and, and burn up this sacrifice and lick up the water. He prayed for crazy stuff. Don't let it rain. Let it rain. And when he prayed for these things, they happened. He was righteous. He understood what God wanted. And that's what Rhonda said. Rhonda won't say it again now for me when I need it. But, but yeah, it's the idea that when Elijah prayed, what he prayed for was in alignment with what God wanted to do. And honestly, this is one of the most important effects of, of, of a praying life. Praying has this effect of aligning our will with God's will. It's, it's Jesus in the garden who says, not my will but thine be done. When we are immature in our praying, and keep praying, even if you're immature, I'm, I'm not trying to discourage you here, but in our immature praying, often we pray for what we want, and, and we pray and pray and pray because we want to bend God so that he'll begin to want what we want. But, but, but that's not truly the prayer that James is talking about, the prayer of the righteous person. That the person of righteousness is the one who is so conformed to the way of Christ that, that, that when they pray, they ask for the things that Christ wants. Our will becomes conformed to his will. When you are praying for what God already wants to do in the world, then that power of God is unleashed and things will begin to happen. 
I really believe that there are things that God cannot do in this world until somebody prays. That's what the Bible teaches. He waits for his people to pray. He moves in response to our prayers. But when our prayers are aligned with what God wants to do, then God is free to move on earth as it is in heaven. So what do we need as a church? We're about to pray. Understand that. That's our response tonight. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. How do we get there? I want to go to that church. I want to be that church. How do we get there together? Well, I think it starts with private prayer. I think our private prayers will be the spring that feeds our corporate prayer. If you all don't pray before you get here, praying when you get here isn't going to be very powerful and effective. You know what I'm saying? Um, When we live lives of prayer and then we come together, it it is this wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, culmination of, of righteousness and wisdom in the spirit that, that we get from praying, from, from living lives of, of prayer. If you won't do that outside this house, then the praying inside this house really can't amount to much more. So I really think we have, to, we have to nourish that in our own spiritual lives, to put ourselves before God every single day in every circumstance, praying, praising, pouring our hearts out before him in whatever way we can in every single moment, praying without ceasing. We do that when we come together automatically. We're a different congregation. So we start there. We start there. We can't do together what we won't do individually. Does that make sense? So it starts there. But then what? What can we pray for individually? What can we do to change the way our church prays? Yeah, the effectual, fervent prayer. Yeah. Those words have a different kind of gravity, don't they? Yeah, fervent praying. What's fervent praying look like? It's, Dad says it's work. It's hard work. Prayer's work. Yeah. Some of us just don't like work, do we? Um, prayer's work. Not necessarily immediate time frame. We are always at prayer. God is always working. I think that word fervent comes back just to a word I wanted to put in front of you, and that word is burden. I think often our prayer life is related to, to, to the, the, the burden that we have. I don't mean the burdens in the sense of all the problems that weigh you down. Burden has more to do with, with the spiritual desire to belong to God and see God work. And honestly, what, what most churches lack, and probably truly what our church lacks most of the time, is, is any real sense of burden. That, that real desire to belong to God completely, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. That kind of burden to belong to God and to serve Him. When you come to God 
with that kind of burden, your, your prayer life will automatically become effective and, and fervent. Praying without a burden is probably for most of us our biggest problem. We just don't come with any kind of real desire. What, what else? What else? How do we become that church? Yeah, Jack, please. Yeah, to literally see the world as God sees the world. We need to pray with eyes open sometimes and see what God sees and let our hearts be broken. Absolutely. Yeah, going, seeing, being in the presence of those who are hurting. Yeah. What about, James says it like two times in here, and I, I noticed that y'all were going to avoid it. That whole confessing your sins to each other part. I don't even want to confess my sins to my wife. I just let her do it for me. <laughs> she confess my sins to me. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, why is it so hard to even think about something like that? And what would that look like in a congregation? Let's let this side go first. <laughs> just, just, no, yeah, really. <laughs> what would it look like in a congregation if we became that, that group of Christians that actually confessed to each other? What's that got to do with prayer? Yeah, Claude. Absolutely, it's, it's a testament to the kind of prayer, but also the kind of fellowship that they would have with each other. Somebody else, confessing sins, Josh. Yeah, Josh says, can we have a smaller group, please? <laughs> and absolutely, James's language, or confess your sins to each other. It's the implication that that's one-on-one. -on -one. You know, we don't necessarily want to take pages out of your diary and put that in the church newsletter. Now, our subscription rate would go up, but I'm not exactly sure that's what James is talking about. This, this is more fellowship. It's a closeness in relationship. It's one-on-one, it's -on -one. But, but honestly, if I know that your response to everything is to pray and not to judge or not to gossip or, or, or not to in any way use what you know about me to harm me, when I know that your response is to pray for me, I will spill my guts. I would tell you anything. and I think that's the kind of fellowship we're intended to have. It, maybe not with all 600 of us, but, but as Christian brothers and sisters, if I know that your heart is to pray for me, I would have nothing to hide from you. When we can trust each other with, the, with our hearts, then there's a real depth of fellowship that would be like heaven on earth. And, and that's, 
That's the kind of church that James intends we have. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Why don't you bow your heads? Close your eyes right where you are. Let's pray. Let's start with anyone who is happy. Just want to give you a chance to pour out your heart in praise to God right now. Put yourself before him and thank him for every good thing. Are you happy tonight? Are there reasons to give him praise and thanks? Right now, connect with him. Connect back all of your blessings with the one who gives all good things to you. Praise him, thank him. Some of you are here tonight and your heart is broken. You're going back home tonight and things at home are not good. You're going back to work tomorrow and things at work are not good. Situations that are out of your control. Your heart is heavy. You're worried. Pray. Give it to God. Lay your burden at his feet. Do not be afraid. Do not worry but pray. Okay, now just for a second, open your eyes. Look to the person on your left. Just look at them. Now, pray for them. Person on your left, pray for that person. Pray for them. Person on your left. You may not know them, may not know anything about them. God knows. Pray for them. Same thing, person on your right. Look who's over there. Pray for them. Person on your right. Pray for them. Jesus, we ask you to send us out of this house tonight differently, different than the way we came in. Help us to pray. Teach us to pray. God, sometimes we just go through our lives thinking that we've got it under control. We forget to pray. And Lord, I thank you that on all those days when I forget you, you never forget me. Your face is always turned toward us and your hand is always outstretched to bless us. God, we know that the powerlessness in our lives is related to the prayerlessness of our lives. We beg for your help. We know that the powerlessness in our church is related to the prayerlessness of our church, and we, we beg for your help. God, I confess that the prayerlessness of the congregation is related to the prayerlessness of the pastor, and God, I need your help. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that you would so burden our hearts that we would pray. Lord, I ask you that we would no longer focus on the ways we can't pray and instead we would just pray as we can and we would pray as we ought and we would just be on our faces before you, Lord, at every opportunity. Just teach us how, Lord, to love you like that and to remain before you like that. God, we need you so desperately. So, Lord, tonight we pray with one another. We join with all of those tonight who are happy and whose hearts are overflowing. We sing praises with them and we join with all of those, Lord, who are having trouble and struggling and fighting back tears. Even in this moment, Lord, we cry with them. Those who are sick, Lord, we lift up their needs before you and all of those, Lord, wandering in sin, God, send us out in love to bring them back. Lord, your word promises that the effective and fervent prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to walk in righteousness. Teach us what it means to pray fervently, effectively. And, Lord Jesus, we ask that in all things, your will would be done and not ours. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.